Hey Nate, I heard from a nurse, who heard from a surge tech, who heard from a dietitian, who knows somebody at the AAMC that said that I've got to do a two-hour interview, and if I blink, I don't match an EM. What? No way. I read online that this year, I'm going to have to learn to play the piano, then write a song, and then record it live for the AAMC. I heard from my mom, who read a link on Facebook, that the AAMC interview scores are the same judges they used in both the Miss America contest mixed with American Idol. And I heard from this guy who knew another guy who used to know someone who worked on the TV show ER that each week the AAMC is going to let the judges from The Voice vote who gets eliminated from the EM match. No, 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 no. These are all rumors, guys. So, we hate rumors, we hate speculation. What we want to do is we want to get you the truth. So today on the EM Stud Podcast, we've got on the show Dr. Atul Grover, Vice President of the AAMC, and he's here today to dispel rumors and give us the facts and the truth and the background behind the Standardized Video Interview Research Project. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate the uh, invitation. Uh, I'm Atul Grover. I'm a general internist by training. I'm executive vice president at the Association of American Medical Colleges. I've been here for about uh, 11 years and work closely with our medical schools, teaching hospitals, faculty, uh, and our learners. And I was a hospitalist uh, at a community hospital and a physician consultant uh, before coming here. Had stints in the federal government, stints in academic medicine. Um, and, you know, the reason I'm talking to you today is I, I actually went back and, and found my old dean's letter and some of my residency application materials uh, over the weekend. And uh, I realized when I applied to residency, I applied to 14 programs and went on six interviews. And it just wasn't that crazy back then, 20 years ago. Uh, and I remember even on the selection side, being part of the admissions committee uh, in med school, being part of the selection team for my, my program in internal medicine. Um, it just wasn't this level of anxiety provoking and, and not anywhere near this crazy. So that's why I'm here and that's why I care about this stuff. That is fantastic. A hospitalist, one of my people that I work with every day. I love it. <laughs> and I, I couldn't agree more. When I applied, you know, back in 2000, things were very different. You're right. I think my numbers were very similar to what you did, and it's just not the same today. And the poor students that are applying are really uh, in an uphill battle. Uh, I, I can't say that I would have gotten in if uh, I was applying against some of the students we have today. They're amazing. They're smart. They're brilliant. Uh, they're charismatic, and uh, it's a different world. You're I feel right. the same way. So the reason we wanted to bring you on this show is to talk more about the Standardized Video Interview Research Project. And so why don't you give us a 30,000-foot view and kind of tell us a little bit more about what we can expect from this. Well, first, the AAMC is a 501c3, which was established with the, its sole purpose, really, of enhancing medical education. And part of that is ensuring that that continuum of, Medicaid, of medical education, going from pre-med to, to UME to GME, and that transition from residency into practice, is as seamless as possible and um, is also uh, as stress-free as possible. Now, that's, that's a big challenge, but we think there are things that we can do to help that uh, whole process less expensive, um, make it healthier for uh, our students, our learners. Uh, and now, over the last couple of uh, 
probably years as we work with our, our medical students and our residents, um, it's clear that they have been incredibly stressed out by the whole process of finding, applying, uh, matching into uh, a residency program. Uh, it's become increasingly costly both in terms of time uh, and their opportunity costs for things that they could be doing within their medical education. Similarly, as we talk to program directors, they are becoming increasingly frustrated because, as you mentioned, Scott, we've got fantastic applicants out there. We have great students in our medical schools. And as all these applications come in to more and more programs, it means that residency directors have to end up uh, looking at potentially hundreds of applications for a handful of spots. And I think that's driven some behavior that um, is is probably not the way that program directors or uh, our applicants or educators want to act, which is you're acting on the basis mostly of numbers and transcripts and trying to make decisions about who to invite for an interview when it's clear that there's much more to your average medical student and the person applying. They're multifaceted human beings. Um, they have different personalities. They have different skills. And I think the program directors are, are uh, getting frustrated that rather than moving towards a more holistic review of the applicants, they're being reduced to looking at numbers. Um, and I think that when you add on to that the sheer cost of this to, to the, the applicants, in 2015, uh, we studied fourth-year medical students. They reported spending more than 7000 on average for interview expenses, uh, all included. Uh, program directors are also having their um, colleagues uh, and themselves spending lots of time interviewing lots of people, uh, and they're looking for better information. Now, emergency medicine, we think, has uh, actually taken quite a good step forward in creating their own tools like uh, the standardized letter of evaluation. Uh, and so these kind of things help. But we wanted to think about what are the other pieces of information we could give both to applicants as well as program directors to help them make decisions in a more strategic way. Well, that sounds great. Uh, why did you choose emergency medicine for this pilot? You could have chosen a lot of different things, but wh what did we have that you thought was really interesting? Well, I, I, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, um, and, I, and I'm a, a secret admirer of, of emergency physicians, um, and uh, so I'll, I'll tell you that uh, I think the field um, and the specialty is pretty interesting in that it sort of straddles a lot of different pieces of medicine. So, you know, I, I'm an internist, mostly I'm doing cognitive work. You've got surgeons that are doing mostly procedural work. Uh, ER folks do it across the board. And I think it's a nice way to, if you're gonna pick one specialty, and it's a specialty that interacts with just about every other specialty. So that's part of it. And part of it is also the fact that the ER community, emergency medicine's already come up with their standardized letter. They've been thinking about this we also know that the program directors that my colleagues have interacted with uh, have been incredibly uh, excited to partner with us on it. And so a good partner, a good field, um, uh, people that have been thinking about it, it sort of made it seem like a, a natural first place to go. Makes sense. Well, next, why don't we go ahead and we're going to put a link to the website link for the AAMC fact and answer question sheet on the video interview process. So why don't you just kind of hit some highlights of that and kind of help us understand what are the, the high points and the specifics that we would need to know about this concept. So um, the research study uh, was kicked off in uh, late June of this year. And as part of the research study, applicants to emergency medicine programs are invited, sent a link 
to participate in a web-based standardized video interview, which I'll talk about in a minute. Take a short survey about their reactions to the interview. Let us know how the experience was for them. And then grant permission for the AAMC to link video interview data with other AAMC data for research purposes only. Uh, the video responses are scored by trained evalu evaluators. Uh, that'll be done uh, mostly in this calendar year. Um, Part two of the research study involves a collection of a subset of residency program records uh, in working with the program directors to look at any relationships between the AAMC standardized video interview scores, other admissions data such as face-to-face -face interview scores, program rank order lists, and potentially uh, even following this through, uh, we could, if we had the data from residency performance after these folks go in, go back and see if there's a relationship that we could find there between now and December 2017. Sounds good. Sounds good. So uh, let's say I'm a student and I say, okay, I, I heard the podcast. I saw some emails. My advisors told me about this. Somehow I heard about this concept and I want to participate. I want my voice to be heard. I want to be part of research. I like evidence-based medicine. Uh, what, what advice would you have for someone on the best practices or, or maybe how would I go about actually doing this? What's the physical specifics of how to do this and then how next can I do it well? Uh, we have tips on our website that I'd encourage participants to access if they just go to AAMC.org slash standardized video interview. Uh, they will come up with uh, a bunch of suggestions there. And just like in-person interviews, it's a good idea to think through possible questions and prepare responses in advance. Uh, we know that uh, there's always chance, but uh, that happens to be uh, only piece of being well prepared. Um, and, and that's true with all of our standardized exams, whether you're talking about you know, uh, your STEP scores, your MCAT, in-person interviews, et cetera. Um, there are some uh, very uh, basic recommendations that you'll see in terms of keeping a camera at eye level, dressing as if you were going for an in-person uh, interview, et cetera. Uh, the equipment itself to record the interview should not provide any advantages or disadvantages. There's no benefit to having high def pixel qualities or getting 4K imaging. Um, the evaluators trained to use a scoring rubric that focuses on the respondent's answers, not their access to production materials. But that said, you want to make sure your microphones work, your webcams work, and uh, part of this preparation, I think, um, also involves uh, getting a friend or a colleague uh, to help you practice uh, in a Skype type, type of interview so that you can get a little more comfortable uh, with that type of approach because we know that some people aren't crazy about staring into a camera and talking or with me right now staring into a microphone and talking to you, Scott. <laughs> you make it sound easy, though. Uh, will students be able to watch their final version of their interview? No, they won't be able to watch uh, their, their videos. And uh, questions about um, you know, the scoring also are, uh, I know, on people's minds. And right now, we don't have plans to release the scores to people um, for a number of reasons. Uh, one is because we don't want to actually give a lot away so that people can figure out how to how to game the system. But um, we also, you know, traditionally don't give uh, scores from in-person interviews back to applicants. Um, so it's something that, that we'll look at, but um, right now we have no plans to do that. Mm. Some of the concerns I've heard from students are if this is going to be added into their application process, just as similar maybe as a step score, uh, we won't know what to do with this the first year, but as time goes on, it will be one metric certainly that will deem whether you will get an official interview. 
why is this being blinded from the students so that we can better advise? I mean, if somebody's bombed this, obviously we can advise them to maybe get a backup plan or perhaps maybe apply to less competitive programs. How will this affect advising in the future if this is blinded? You know, that's a a great question and something that the student affairs deans uh, have been talking about. But we believe that even if it is blinded to the individual, we can give aggregate data back to a school to let them know how their students are doing compared to students at other schools. Um, I also think that um, part of the the practice routine that you might do with, you know, one of your your EM advisors uh, in, in helping prepare for this, they'll be able to give you feedback. Uh, so it's, it's not a, a perfectly transparent system as with most um, uh, standardized forms of, of testing or evaluation, but uh, we believe that, that it's going to be a, a good set of additional data to be able to provide the programs. At the same time, we're thinking about what additional information we can give applicants because if there's enough information about what program is going to be a good fit for you as an applicant, that you can potentially do one or two less interviews, save a thousand bucks or more, um, because you weren't going to like it there or they weren't going to want you at that program, well, that's more efficient. And it's also more efficient for a program that says, hey, I don't think this person is the right fit. I'm not going to have faculty uh, interviewing uh, these additional people and uh, when their time could have been uh, spent evaluating others. So, you know, we're just hoping it's one more piece of information in the toolkit. Uh, the next concept is I, I've heard some chatter from folks about concerns of bias, inequality, uh, concerns about minority groups. I, I recall some studies that I've read in the past on psychology that just, just a picture of a person from a different minority group uh, causes us to really be... Uh, we can identify some unconscious bias present in, in just about everybody. And whether that's the accuracy of a quick click or something like that, there's hesitations, uh, that happens. So how do we deal with this bias and inequality that we probably all have that's unconscious? You can't completely eliminate bias. I think the one of the main goals that we pursue in our training of people is to be conscious of their biases uh, and to be aware of how they may respond to different people differently. Um, Some of the things that we also uh, are able to do is uh, make sure that the content of the interview is racially and ethnically neutral and doesn't negatively impact any one group of applicants. And for the research phase, a group of EM docs reviewed all the questions for bias and sensitivity. Um, Only questions that survived the review were included in the study bank. Um, We required that the raters themselves are a diverse group of individuals to evaluate and rate the interviews. Every single rater has completed a training um, or instruction on unconscious bias. That's something that the AAMC uh, has developed a bit of expertise at uh, in the last several years. We do these training uh, programs often. Um, We're also developing uh, behaviorally anchored rating scales that evaluators can use to evaluate responses. That helps them focus on the content of a response. The other thing we're going to do as as sort of a, a quality check throughout all this is to monitor the scores submitted by all raters throughout the process. So we're looking for outliers. We're looking for inter-rater reliability. Anything that you know makes it look like there are a particular class or subset of applicants being rated differently by an evaluator, that will flag it for us to go in and determine whether that rater needs to be retrained or just removed, uh, whatever's appropriate for the circumstance. Um, you know, while I wish it were completely you know, possible to eliminate uh, racial and ethnic bias, it exists. 
Um, and the best we can do is, is to uh, have people uh, minimize uh, the impact on their decision making. Um, we can't eradicate it completely, but one of the things I'll also say is that um, our raiders are probably getting more training given the information we have than the people doing the in-person interviews uh, when you go for your in-person residency interview. Uh, we know that half of uh, the programs report not really giving any formal training or guidance to people that are doing interviews in person. So um, we hope we're, we're at least, uh, you know, uh, doing the minimum that we can uh, to deal with, with racial, ethnic, and other biases. That sounds really good. And I think a, a more subtle question that I'd like to know is, is, are these people assessing students for, you know, emergency medicine, or are they assessing them for interpersonal communication skills? Uh, again, there's a lot of different ways to assess someone. Are we looking at the same metrics as we are looking for in emergency medicine residents? I, I guess, are we selecting the same things? Is this more of a, uh, you know, Miss America contest? Uh, are we looking more at the solving world peace kind of personality test? Or are we looking more at beauty? Is this the evening gown competition? Are we looking at the same things? Boy, I hope I don't have to participate in any of those. I, I did participate in this uh, survey, though, to, to take a practice test myself. Um, what we're looking for is really, if you think about the information that program directors lack from what's in the typical residency application, um, they don't lack academic data, right? They, they've got grades, they've, they've got um, a very full dean's letter, uh, in, in your case a more um, targeted uh, standardized letter. Um, but one of the things that program directors have said they really would, would like to have information about, but again, don't really know how to get it other than somebody saying, yes, this person is good at this, is uh, two areas. One uh, is professionalism, and the other is interpersonal and communication skills. So raters will be required to use a rating scale that aligns with the competencies, those two competencies assessed by those questions. Um, and I think that, you know, even if you think about a typical job interview, um, part of it is your ability to, to communicate what you're trying to get across. So I can, even if I told you that, you know, you're going to get asked a question like, tell me about a time when you had conflicting data from two sources and how did you resolve it, right? Uh, I need to be able to think about how I not only handled that situation, but how I explained it. Or if I ask, tell me about a time in which you noticed somebody else acting unprofessionally and how you addressed it. Many of these things aren't necessarily going to be grounded in the clinical environment. They can be in any sort of walk of life, personal or professional. Uh, and so I think these are things I hope that um, all specialties will be interested in. But one of the things that we're also doing now, Scott, is um, we're very conscious that you may look in as an emergency medicine physician very differently at how you view interprofessionalism versus somebody who's an internist like me or a psychiatrist or a surgeon so one of the things we are doing is is working with a number of other specialties right now to better understand how a specialty's uh, own particular view might affect how they were to rate an answer so, Dr. Grover, how is this actually going to be scored? Uh, do we have just two areas where you get a professionalism and an interpersonal communication skills? Are there five areas they will be evaluating? Uh, are we using stars? Two thumbs up. Uh, is it going to be like a step score number? Are we using a happy or a sad emoji? What are we using? Uh, we're not that creative here. It's a, it's a five-point scale. 
Um, the interview gets scored by three human raters, uh, again, using behaviorally anchored rating scales. Um, there are two scales that, that they'll be using. One is for professionalism and the other for interpersonal communication skills. And they'll use that rating scale to align with each competency. And then eventually one score is going to be produced uh, from that evaluation. You know, a lot of the students really have some concerns about the expense. I understand that the AAMC is covering this year's cost. Uh, but again, this is equipment. These are paid professionals that have great training. This is not free. What are the estimated costs this is going to increase a student's application process in the future? Are there any estimates? Um, there aren't right now, Scott. I think the challenge with an estimate is figuring out exactly how many specialties are participating, how you're doing the rating, um, you know, what's the economy of scale on this. Uh, so we are trying to figure out both internally and, and with outside help a business plan moving forward. Um, the key thing to know, particularly from the student side, is that the majority of the costs are not going to be borne out by the students. If this is something that is valuable to uh, an institution or to an individual program, uh, they need to be able to support it uh, at, at least uh, um, most of the way. So uh, we're figuring those numbers out, and I think as we get through the research phase, one of the things we'll be looking at is what is the value of this to, to those programs, and do they believe that uh, you know, getting a more efficient uh, way of figuring out who might be successful in for an in-person interview is worth whatever um, uh, cost that ends up being. Um, but as I've noted, we know that, that applying and traveling to interviews is expensive. So we're trying to, to take a multi-pronged approach to provide resources to help applicants apply more strategically. One of the things that we're also engaged in right now is to try and, and we collect reams of data and there's other data out there and we're trying to work with some partners to figure out if we can't give um, applicants better information about where they might be quote unquote successful, um, both in terms of staying in a program, staying in a specialty, um, perhaps even uh, more information about uh, which um, applicants in terms of what schools they're from and what characteristics uh, were successful in getting an in-person interview or, or matching into a residency. Uh, all of that is um, going to take a little bit of time, but we hope will be uh, advantageous to the applicants. There's already some of it available um, in our Careers in Medicine website. For instance, you can click on a residency program and find out what are the top 10 schools in terms of numbers of matriculants into that program. So it's that kind of information. If we can give to an applicant um, and tell them, look, no one from your school has ever matched in this program in the last 10 years, that doesn't necessarily change behavior, but it's, a, it's one piece of information more that you have to make your decision. Uh, let's next move into the actual research study. Um, what is the clinical question? Uh, how is it powered? What results are we looking for? You know, what would constitute success? Walk me through this from a researcher standpoint about how this research study is answering a specific clinical question. Well, you know, I think the main thing is um, you're absolutely right to compare this to a clinical question, Scott, because what we want to know is will this test, will this information change anything? Right? If it's not going to change behavior, if I'm, if I'm doing a lab test and it's not going to change what I do, why would I bother to do it? So uh, we want to make sure that this is useful in terms of uh, how program directors get information about 
the applicants. So we've partnered with um, a constituent advisory committee. We've got a number of uh, emergency medicine programs and emergency medicine organizations that have volunteered very kindly to help us study the correlation between standardized video interview scores and any local data that we can get from the selection process. That would include things like face-to-face -face interview scores, rank order lists, et cetera. And eventually, uh, as I said, we would hope to be able to link this to PGY-1 uh, performance. That's only going to be possible if we have sufficient sample size by program. Uh, and while, uh, you know, at a minimum we need about 200 applicants to participate, what we're really hoping for and, and why we're giving people $50 gift cards uh, is, is uh, to help them um, uh, get, to, get us to a place closer to one or 2,000 uh, respondents. That would really give us robust data to be able to figure out if the kind of assessments that the programs are making in person are similar to the assessments for information that are, are being uh, pulled in through the standardized video interview. Now, the other thing that we want to be able to do is to look at from a, a utility perspective, again, will the test give me any information I don't already have? If it turns out that the standardized video interview scores are highly correlated to something that we already collect, well, there's no need to do them. So that's the kind of information that we're going to be looking for. Well, that good. It sounds like we're, we're very flexible. We're very open to looking at how this might affect people. It sounds like there's been a lot of thought going into this. It's not just kind of a one meeting kind of a decision. So it really helps us, I think, gain confidence into the whole endeavor. That's great. That's, we, we, you know, we really, uh, honestly, as we look at our, our learners and, and programs, what we want to do ultimately is help find the best fit for both the applicant and the program. Um, you want to know that you're going to work with a team of people in an environment that you're going to thrive in um, and not show up and, and three months later be absolutely miserable. Uh, the program wants to get people in that are going to work well with, with each other. Um, and you know, I, I, one of the things I think we don't really talk a lot about um, as we go through med school is how very different it is when you move on to residency and that you really are going on job interviews and people are looking at you about, you know, I'm going to be spending 80 hours a week with you, working with you closely, making sure you have my back and I've got yours. Uh, and so we want to make sure that's the best fit possible. And, and the SVI is only one uh, tool that, that we're working on and the data analytics is another. But um, we're, we're kind of going through this to figure out how we make this whole process less anxiety provoking uh, for the applicants, less expensive hopefully for the applicants. Ultimately, if they can avoid going on a couple of those residency in-person interviews where they weren't going to be successful anyway, let them know that up front. Um, so it's really just uh, you know one initial step in, in trying to figure this out. We hope that the SVI is successful. We hope we can figure out a business plan that makes sense. Um, but we're, we're going to look at the data and see what we come back with. Well, hopefully as a result of being on this podcast, three of the seven listeners might sign up for this. So we're really hoping this <laughs> will make so. a big difference. Um, that's been great. Any other plans moving forward, next steps, visions for the future, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the long-term vision is to see if the SVI can be a tool that, that is integral to providing some of that additional information for programs and, and applicants and the transition to residency. Um, we want to know if there's anything that can make the current process more effective, efficient, and less anxiety-provoking. Uh, so again, while we think there's a real possibility that the SVI could do that for everyone, um, we're not saying this is going to go forward 
permanently until we evaluate it in the next year and, and until we get to look at the data uh, and figure out if it actually gives us uh, additional information that's a benefit to everyone. So I appreciate your giving us the opportunity to come on and, and talk with you, and I really do encourage people to go to uh, that website of doubleamc.org slash standardized video interview. Well, Dr. Grover, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, we appreciate the AAMC looking out for students and being thoughtful about this process, making this a research study and not just rolling this out. I think it's uh, really being organized and, and started off on the right foot, and we look forward to seeing what this might create. So thank you again for taking time with us. Thank you, Scott. Greatly appreciate it. Well, that's another episode in the bag. Thanks again to Dr. Atul Grover and his team at the AAMC. Look forward this fall to some other great episodes coming your way. We'll be talking about ERAS, interviews, how to put that match list together. Be sure to visit our website, www.cdmcurriculum.com. On behalf of my colleague, Dr. Nate, this is your EMED coach, Dr. Scott Weider, signing off for another edition of the EM Stud Podcast. Rotate well, my friends.